Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Hollywood actor Stephen Bauer. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, we're going to mix things up a bit. We're going to head out to Hollywood. My guest today starred in Scarface, was the co-star of one of my favorite series of all time on Showtime, Ray Donovan. He played Avi. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Bauer. Stephen, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks, Booney. Hey, man. How are you today? I'm doing good. Good. Was that, was that a decent intro? Intro? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm in uh, right. I'm in sunny with a little bit a little bit of rain. A little bit of rain. That's why I told you, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier. You gotta you gotta yeah. San Diego's where it's at. There's never there's never rain, there's never no snow. Rain, there's, no it's rain. all be- it's always beautiful. Um Yeah Stadium man, I love that pet that pe- the Petco. Petco's nice, isn't Petco. it? Pet Petco. Yeah, Petco. Safeco was the Seattle one before. Now it's T-Mobile. But you played, yeah. Right. That was Safeco, but now it's T-Mobile. They always correct me when I'm up in Seattle. I say, yeah, let's go out to Safeco. It's not Safeco anymore. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, God. The the American Airlines Arena out here, which was great for the Miami Heat Championships, and now it's got another weird name. It's just initials. You got to roll with it. It's year to year. Year to year. You never know what you're going to get. Crazy, whatever. Yeah, but the Marlins Park. Oh no, the Marlins Park, the new stadium over here, which is beautiful. Now it's got a new name. It's called Lo, Lo, uh, Lone uh, Safe Loan. No, Lone Depot. Well, I just did a commercial what, what, for them, didn't I? One of those loan places. <laughs> Scarface, <laughs> iconic movie. I'm sh- I'm sure you've. I've never. I'm sure you've never get asked about Scarface. It's such an iconic movie. But I don't know if people realize that it was a, a remake. The original Scarface was 1932, and your character in the, in the 83 version is uh, George Raft played it. He That's was a right. newcomer. He was a newcomer. You were a newcomer. Yes. What? A, what? A, Raft, uh, had a great career. He was uh, he was an interesting guy. Very very smart. Very interesting guy. And. Uh, not a likely movie star, but he did become a movie star. Uh, and he uh, flipped a coin in the thing. <laughs> he notoriously and, and for some reason, iconically, would walk around, would flip a coin. And, and when, when Tony Monero, Tony, Tony Montana, uh, kills him in the, in the film, he's flipping the coin. It's like when Tony catches me with with Gina, and I open the door and I'm just kind of like, "Hey, uh, uh, uh." <laughs> well, there were old timers who were asking me, "Are you gonna flip a coin in that moment? Are you gonna flip a coin?" And I go, "No, no, 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 no." Yeah, I saw the I saw the original a few times actually. Yeah, I was wondering because, how much uh, that goes. That, I was wondering how much that goes into to your role and how you prepare for it. Do you watch the old one and say, all right, what, what was the original one? I like in t- it. 
I watched it. I watched it just because Al wanted me to see his his the character that Paul Muni played as Tony Monero, uh, right? And and to to just he wanted me to see how it influenced him because it's so big. <laughs> Paul Muni Paul Muni was a great actor, but he's very very big, very very expressive and uh, diff- totally different style. And Al sort of uh, wanted to do something that was a modern version of that. He told me actually to ignore my character because he didn't really think that that it was right for the for our situation. He wanted me to be me, just like just kicking ass, just walking and taking names, just with my personality and and charm at, at the time. And he uh, he said, "You do your thing. I don't I don't don't get attached to anything else." Don't let anybody lean, you know, give you any ideas or anything. That this is you. That's why we cast you. So that was a great, great, um, empowering uh, thing that he did for me. Is he always kept me from being just protected from any outside influences while we were shooting, and uh, and we spent all the time. We spent a month before we even started shooting together every day, having breakfast and lunch. I'd go over to his place, and we, he was he took a house in Malibu, and and I was living there in a shack <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> and uh, you were you were the rookie. I was the rookie, you know, I, I, and uh, and on the set I had a shack, <laughs> and he had a he had a trailer, of course. He had he had the Winnebago. <laughs> And uh, but every day he would call for me, and I'd go over, and we spend all day together just talking about what what life was like in Cuba, uh, because I could give him that because I uh, the knowledge from my my father who who really was uh, he knew Cuba well, and he and he knew the customs, and I'd really grown up in Miami learning all of that. I, I paid attention. My character is, uh, it's not me because I wasn't that kind of boy. I wasn't that kind of guy. I was, uh, my dad was gone a lot. He was a, a, a pilot, uh, freight and, and uh, pilot. And he was also involved in some skirmishes around the world uh, during the 60s where he was flying in supplies and and Christian relief uh, foundations for for in Africa the Congo war and the Biafran war later uh, and uh, numerous things that he got involved with the the CIA was of course in running those things and so he was gone and I had to sort of start sports and all of those things, which I wanted to be doing. Uh, I didn't want to grow up to be an actor. I certainly didn't even know what that meant. I, but I loved movies from the beginning because I, I, I dedicated myself to learn English immediately. As soon as I got to to the United States, to Miami, when I was three years old, I was watching TV every day at home before I went to school. And, and I learned English really well. 
So a lot of my friends didn't, and they and they would, you know, they they grow up and still be talking like this, like kind of like, and that's what that sort of the character that I invented was uh, was a guy who was who grew up really in Cuba, and and got into trouble in, in Cuba, uh, and like Tony says, you know, those communists always telling you what to do. <laughs> so yeah. so. Uh, Guys like that, they were rebellious. They always get in trouble, and they get thrown in jail and stay there for a while, and and or they go in the military and they go overseas to 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 Africa, and they wouldn't come back. And so that was the that was what we were exploring, Al Pacino and I, for the roles that we played. That's the kind of character. It doesn't say too much, Oliver. Stone wrote the screenplay and we spent some time with him also. And he also made us, um, he advantaged us, sort of uh, gave us the opportunity to sit with a doctor or surgeon who spent time in the, in the prisons in Cuba. And because he was on the other side, he was against the revolution. He was against Fidel's government so he spent time in prison and he told us of all the atrocities that the communist government how they they treated people who were not with the revolution it was pretty pretty severe wow it's it's amazing and and not that many people uh you know people born in america had had a chance to ever go to cuba i got to go to cuba In 1988, I was on the U.S. base USA baseball team, and we played a four-game set in Havana. And I remember That's flying awesome. there. I remember there were wow. a couple couple young men that kind of befriended us. You know, they saw we stood we stood out. You know, we were walking around the city in our, our USA baseball sweatsuits, so we were tough oh, to miss. Oh. But I had a couple kids that that lived in Cuba, born, never had left Cuba, and they spoke really good English and they befriended us and they took us around and they showed us the sights and they got us cigars. And uh, I'll tell you this quick story and then I'll get on with it. But one night it, it just showed me how how suppressed the people of Cuba were at that time in 1988. And now that's not 1960. But I remember one night we were coming home. Uh, just from a day walking around town, they were, like I said, they were showing me the sights and we walked in, we were going to our hotel and it was the same thing we did every day. And you would shake their hand, say, all right, we'll see you tomorrow. And one of the kids said to me, he said, Hey, Hey Brett, he said, could I get $5, five American dollars? And I said, sure. Right. What do you need? He goes, I want to go to the discotheque, but in Cuba, the Cuban people aren't allowed to go to the discotheque. You have to have American money. That, at least that was my understanding. So I turn That's around, right. I hand him a, I hand him a $10 bill for him and his friends. And I say, all right, guys, thanks a lot. We'll see you tomorrow. I turn around. And the next thing you know, the cops tackled him, Detective. beat him down, put him in a cop car, and they were off to jail for taking money from me. Oh, and man, I went God. to I went to I went to bed that night thinking, wow, <laughs> how lucky I am where we live. And I'm going, yeah. wow, because they treated us like like royalty when we were over there playing baseball. But the way they treated them and the next day they got bailed out of out of uh, 
out of out of jail and they came back to pick us up yeah. and did take us for what we were gonna, and i said guys it's a good idea probably if i don't if i don't hand you money in public and they're like yeah that was our fault but uh man interesting you've got an you've got an incredible family story you know doing my prep work on this your family escaped nazi uh nazi yeah, germany to cuba and then you escaped cuba during yeah. the Cuban Revolution, to go to Miami, you, that the yeah. stories around the stories around your family dinner table must be unbelievable. What you've heard and and learned when through, I, yeah. you know, you, as, a, as a young boy, I I really paid attention, Brett. I I really soaked that up, and I didn't know that it was different from any other family. By the way, I I just thought, God, all this. All this chaos. I mean, all this um, like uh, terrible stuff. There's so much conflict. There's so much conflict. I grew up in a house where they, where the men were constantly talking about uh, going back to Cuba, going back to Cuba. And to me, that was kind of uh, it, it. It irked me because I was trying to become an American. You know. I'm trying to learn. I really wanted to learn the culture. So I, I soaked also as much as I soaked up their, their heritage and, and their legacy and, and their story. I was soaking up the American story. I swear. I mean, I am a, I am a diehard patriot and I, I, I studied the, the American revolution, the civil war, I I studied world history. I was I was just a fanatic of 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 history. I wanted to know what my place in it was, and I really wanted to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> by, the time, by the time I got to first, I wanted to be Joe Namath, Namath of course, <laughs> but then I wanted to I wanted to quarterback the Cowboys, and I I did have the arm. And the height, but I couldn't read. I couldn't read defenses to save my life. <laughs> or I didn't. I was. I just didn't like X's and O's. I didn't like mathematics. And so to me, that was math. I just wanted to get my receiver downfield and hit him. <laughs> right. And, you wanted uh, to not and, not in it. You wanted to not in an eye roll and just expect him to be there. Exactly, like we did on the on the on the on the playgrounds, right? That's where I started playing at playgrounds, and then suddenly I was in organized football, and I, they wouldn't let me play. I'd have a clean uniform because I I wasn't like I wasn't aggressive, and coaches would say you're too nice a guy, you're really talented, but you're too nice a guy, and I that was embarrassing kind of because I I just couldn't muster up aggression for some reason. You know, there are kids I, I grew up with, they love to hit. They would love to hit. And I, I thought, I, I want to, I want to do it, but they're my friends. So I don't want to, I don't want to do it. See, it's because I was an outsider. I think psychologically it's because I didn't want to be an outsider and fight and fight anybody. I wanted to be embraced by, by the, by my peers. 
So I was just a, a really nice guy, sort of like Manolo. That's the that's the characteristic that they liked when they met me. I didn't even have to audition. They just said, you're Manny. Bang. The, the executive producer, when he met me, he was a... Uh, he had been Al Pacino's manager when he was, when he was a kid and, uh, and produced some of Al's films. His name was Martin Bregman. He was a great man. And he, and he the moment he saw me, he said, you're man, you're going to play Manny. And he said, don't let anybody tell you anything else. He said, don't talk about it. He said, but when the dust settles, because at the time there were a lot of act, a lot of actors who were coming up and they were sort of fit the role and their agents were, were very aggressive with the producer, with, with, with Bregman. And they just pushed them. They were saying, you've got to do, you've got to use so-and-so or John, John Travolta um, was one of them because he was friends with Brian De Palma, the director. So there was a lot of talk about who was actually going to get the role because I hadn't done a movie. And even my agents would say, he's, he's bullshitting you. I mean, he's taking you for a ride. Uh, you know, and, and, and the reason they were upset was because right then, at, at that moment, I had just gotten an offer to do what would be my first movie. And it was about an Olympic runner. Uh, an American, a Native American, half Native American, he was Billy Mills, and he went. He he ran in the '64 Olympics, I think, in Japan. Yeah, I think it was '64 or '60. God, I should know this. Um, but it's a movie about his life, and it was an independent feature with a Canadian director, and. I was going to make a lot of money, actually. And I was broke and, and broke, broke at the time and had been holding out for what would be my first film. I had done some television and I was I was fed up and I, I wasn't getting film opportunities. And so I I said, I'd rather be I'd rather work with my hands. I was delivering furniture in New York and and refusing work, refusing that kind of work. I didn't want to do soap operas. I just didn't want to do it. And they wanted me to, to do some modeling because I was tall. As, uh, anyway, they wanted me to do that. People wanted me to do that to, and make some money. I was like, no, I'll, I'll tough it out. I'll wait for a good one. And so the, the, the good one was Scarface. And that one it's a, just clicked. It's amazing, though, because you're young. It, like you said, you'd worked. You did K Pasa, I think. And correct. <laughs> but when I but was this at the is, University of Miami. Right. So this is a big time role. And you, you were mentioning, you mentioned Travolta. I think Travolta's, what's he coming off? Is he coming off Greece at that point? So Travolta's He's a pretty. Up Saturday. Uh, Saturday Night Fever already. Saturday Night Fever. So you're up against Travolta, yeah. and you end up getting the you end up getting the gig. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's pretty and awesome. I'm telling you, Brad. The reason I I got it is because it's because I had no I had no illusions about about getting it. I I just was right for the role, and people had seen me around. 
so they were sort of ref- they referred me to the casting director on the first day of casting. The first day of casting, she didn't have an office yet. She she had her she, she was still in her apartment, and uh, my manager sent me over there to her apartment in New York City, and I knocked on the door and I could hear the vacuum cleaner going, and then and I said I I rang the doorbell in her in her apartment on Eighth Avenue, and you know Eighth Avenue, mm. right? And uh, and I was that's where I lived on Eighth Avenue, and it was like it was. Terrible. It was Eighth Avenue, seventies style. You know what it was like. It was like Sin City, uh, but she lived on Eighth Avenue in one of the nicer buildings on Fifty Fifty Fourth Street. And I went up there and knocked on the thing, and and uh, finally she opened the door. The turn off there, uh, the vacuum cleaner opened the door, and she looked at me and she goes, "Oh my God, come in, come in, come in. <laughs> Tell me all about yourself. I keep hearing about you." And I said, really? She said, yeah, I heard you did a play here and and, it, and uh, you did a series in Miami, a, a TV series. And and so I was talking to her and she goes, how much time have you got? I said, well, I got to get on a plane to go to L.A. I was about to quit. my uh, I'd quit my, my furniture delivery uh, job and I was heading to L.A. I was finally capitulating and giving... And again, saying, okay, I'll go to L.A. and audition for some for some uh, TV movies or whatever's happening there. And one of the things that was happening was that Canadian movie about the about the Native American Olympic star, Billy Mills. And apparently I looked a lot like him and they they wanted me to, you know, I think they had already prepared the wig and for the beginning. And then I was going to get a crew cut. And they were they were already thinking of me doing that movie, but then Car- Scarface comes up. The idea of Scarface, and and before they get into any kind of casting, the, the woman sees me, and that day she says, "I'm going to send you over to, to see to see Brian De Palma, the director." And and it's funny because Brian, I didn't like him. I didn't like him, and I thought, "Oh God, this movie, what a cool, interesting story." But Brian De Palma. Because I didn't like his first the, his, his first films, including uh, Dress to Kill. I didn't like that. I didn't I didn't like Blowout, which was with John, John Travolta. I didn't like Carrie. Remember Carrie? I remember Carrie. Carrie the, yeah, with, uh, yeah, with uh, Sissy Spacek and, uh, and John Travolta also. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so he was friends with Brian. So they, you know, they liked each other. And so Brian was thinking about using. John as Manny. And so John Travolta and Al Pacino. And and I I was like I thought, oh shoot. And I and the and the woman Alex 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 uh her name? Alex Norton. No. Alex I'll remember her name. Uh, Alex, she, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who she is. <laughs> she I do know, but I forgot. Gosh. She was an old time New York casting director. She had a really, she was known because she had a great eye. She had cast, uh, she had cast, I'm giving you, now I'm really off the, off the reservation with these stories. Sorry. <laughs> I do yeah, but they're, they're cool though. They're interesting. They're not stuff I get to hear every day. I'm sick of talking about no. baseball. 
Oh yeah. Well, you <laughs> must be. Yeah, but well, I get you know sometimes I get sick of of this, but sometimes if it's somebody that's really interested, yeah, uh, I can get motivated right away. Just just because I I love it when people are really really find it interesting, and and also I really want to tell my story as much as possible. Be in my head, what it does is I'm already structuring the chapters for for writing my my book, my autobiography, my autobiography. So I'm I'm already thinking it out, and this triggers my my brain for the some of the interesting detail. And um, if somebody's listening, I'm going to tell it. Uh, so I went to see Brian De Palma that day, and I went in there thinking that eventually he's going to do the Jim Morrison movie. No one here gets that alive that he had gotten the rights to. And I, and I was going to tell him, I was just going to tell him you're got, I got to play Jim Morrison. Cause I could sing, I could sing. I sounded just like him. And I, and I had all the movement and everything. And I looked like him when my hair was long and except I was too tall, a little bit too tall, but, uh, but Val was almost my size. Val Kilmer. I, I, I knew well around that time. And Val Val played Jim Morrison, and he was very good. But I yeah, in the, in the Doors movie, and yeah. I wanted to tell Brian De Palma, but I go in there, I go, I gotta control myself, gotta control myself. And I go in there, and he goes, sit down, sit down. And he goes, yeah, you look, you look the part. You could be Manny. And he goes, you're really Cuban. I said, I'm really Cuban. I'll tell you in Spanish who you want. <laughs> and he and he goes, no, 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 I believe you. And he goes, okay. He goes, so you're going to L.A.? I go, yes. And he goes, all right, I'm going to call Mr. Bregman. Marty Bregman is producing the movie. Can you go see him tomorrow? And I said, yes. <laughs> so he calls Bregman. He goes, I got this guy. What's your name? Stephen Bauer. No, no, he, he is Cuban. He just doesn't have a Cuban last name. I go, well, actually, it's my, my last name is Echevarria. Echeverria. And Esteban. Echeverria. Yeah, okay. Anyway, and then and then Martin Bregman said to said to Brian, Well tell him I may want him to change his name if he plays the part. Change it back to Echeverria. Because that way I could prove to people that we got a real Cuban in the movie. <laughs> Can you believe that? And what was your that reaction was to a, that? I just thought, oh no, I I, I went this fucking far already carrying that name. I mean, it's my dad's name, my grandma's father's name, my family name. I, I love it. But it, 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 from the moment I hit America, that was you one of to be the things. And, and, and you wanted to be American. I wanted to be American. So my mom's side, her father's name was, was Samson Bauer, right? They were German Jews. And, and so... When I when I was in California already beginning my career in seventy eight seventy eight, um, I nobody could pronounce Echeverria when they when they see it. If, if you think back to those days, well, you were you were a little kid in seventy eight. <laughs> what am I talking about? That's you right. I was eight years old. old something right? <laughs> I was eight years old. <laughs> Yeah, you're in San Diego playing ball, <laughs> playing Little League. 
isn't that crazy how how time how the it, it I love to see I love timelines and relativity. Well, actually, I was on your side of the map in, when I was a kid. I grew up in Jersey. I grew up in Jersey till I was uh, till high school. Then I came out to Southern Cal, went to high school, college oh, out, out, yeah, out here. And then, you know, I went throughout my career. And when I retired, uh, we ended up coming back to San Diego. I wanted to come back to Southern Cal. But yeah, my early childhood, I was a Jersey kid. And and when when I uh, when Dad came to me and said, "All right, we're moving to California," he got traded from the Phillies to the Angels, and he said, "We're moving to California." Oh, yeah. And and you yeah. know how the East Coast is. East Coast they don't like the West Coast, especially when you're a kid. And and it was California. Oh no, I'm not going to California. I don't like California. Oh. I was I was here about six months. I I got out here 14 years old, about six months, and I said, "California is pretty cool." <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And I ended up loving start it. Growing you know? your hair. Start growing your hair. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> wow, that's 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 an interesting story. Too. Growing up in Jersey, what exit? <laughs> what, what I was I was what, right what, across uh, right across the bridge from Philly, the Walt Whitman uh, Cherry Hill area, place called Medford, Medford, New Jersey. Wow. So South Jersey. And, uh, but you definitely like, uh, summers on the beach in Jersey, uh, paled in comparison to Southern California. Calvin, so, yeah. And when summers. I was, a, when I was a kid, Steven, I mean, once those summers hit, cause dad was playing, uh, right. I'd spend, I'd spend every day, a bunch of my buddies, you know, they'd be going to the beach all the time. I spent every day at the ballpark. Every day that my dad would let me go, I'm just going with him to the ballpark. That's all I ever wanted to do. And it's really interesting because wow. you said when you were a kid, you wanted to be the Dallas Cowboy quarterback, which, you know, that's probably a pretty popular thing to be, especially in that time or or dream about being. That's sure. all I remember ever wanting to do since I was one years old, since I can, you know, have distant memories. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, that's all. <laughs> when you'd ask me what I'm going to do when I grow up, I would tell you it, it, it. And I never wavered. I got to college. I said, what courses do I need to take to get stay eligible to stay on the field because I'm going to the big leagues and any backup plan? Wow. I, I never had one. I never I was the most naive kid. You could possibly imagine, you know, and you look back when you when you grow up a little bit and you look back at what you were and you go, wow, I made it. But how naive was I? You know, I, I was just I had blinders on and that's all I ever thought about. And yeah, that's all I ever wanted not, to do. I don't think it's so much naive as as it is just determined. It, it, and also, I think that you have a a maybe like a premonition about about your life and and because of where of your lineage also probably it, it doesn't hurt to to feel like they, i come from ball players i come from baseball players and 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 it's something that you feel like it, it, if you were if you weren't good you probably wouldn't be delusional and say i'm still going to be a baseball player I mean, if you were uh, if you were clumsy, uh, right, or, right. Like, no, I, I I know I, what you're saying. A, you see, you know what I'm saying. You felt it like early, like you had a bat in your hand and you could yep. swing the bat. Yep. Right. And I loved other sports. I mean, I was a football player. You, I was a uh, 
I loved basketball. Loved it. It was my favorite. I mean, after school, I'd go home. Really? I'd go to the I'd go to the local gym and I'd shoot hoops. I I loved it. But like you're always talking about your height. I'm five ten. Yeah. And after a while, I got to a point when going, you know, probably not going to make it to the NBA. And and yeah. I I excel and I'm elite on the baseball field, but I'm just kind of one of the, one of the other guys on the basketball court. And when I got into high school, right. it kind of started to wear on me. Like, how can I be so good at one thing and decent at the other one? But I love the one that I'm decent at. I really enjoy playing. So after a while, it, it kind of got too much for me. So I said, I, I can't embarrass myself and just be decent at basketball. I, I just got to quit everything. And I put all my eggs but in one basket. You can dribble and you can shoot. Right, I could dribble and I could, could shoot, but I wasn't gonna. Yeah. I wasn't gonna cash any checks. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So, so what? So get so back to your Scarface. Okay, so you go through De Palma. Okay, so you're you're going yeah. with that. Now, how does it get? How is the final decision made? I'm a, I'm assuming now. I'm the farthest thing from well, an actor, I, and I don't know about that world, but I would think Al Pacino is going to have something to say about it. Yes. Uh, but before that happened, I told you the Jim Morrison thing, and that was sort of one of my to my my. Uh, it was kind of a childish like uh, that was. Oh, that's right. Bit, you were in there. To, you uh, were going to tell him about it. But I was in you there decided trying to, to tell him, and and then I realized right on his desk, right in front of me, he's got no one here gets that alive, uh, which was the one of the first biographies that was out, and he bought that. He bought the rights. And it was already being contested that by the by people who knew Morrison. There was a lot of controversy, and but I knew he had the, the film rights, and he was that was he was intending on making the movie after Scarface. And I said before I go, I said, "See that right there, right there, Jim Morrison. I'm playing Jim Morrison." I almost lost the role right there. <laughs> I almost lost the role in Scarface because he goes, oh, yeah. And I said, yes, it, it can't be. It's I I'm Jim. I'm going to play Jim Morrison. You'll see. And he goes, really? OK, just get out of here. Get out of here. Go to L.A. <laughs> just like that. And I thought, fuck, I just made a friend, didn't I? <laughs> but I think you got to walk that I fine line. He, yeah, well, he, you know, he, he, uh, I didn't like him in the first place. I grew to like him when we, when we were doing the movie and he, and he really liked me a lot and treated me with a lot of respect. And he put me in another movie. He, put, he almost put me in two more movies, um, because he was going to use me in Carlito's way. And I didn't like the role. <laughs> I turned him down. And then I was, I was going to do, Oh, and then I did uh, the other movie that he that he did that was really good, which is called Raising Cain, which is with John Lithgow, and and uh, the woman's name was the actress was Lolita Davidovich, and she was uh, very good f for a time. I don't know, she stopped acting or something. Um, anyway, but that's later. So I go to L.A. and I go and meet Mr. Bragman. And he's very severe and, and a very nice man. And um, and he had a deep voice. And he said, he said, yeah, you're really Cuban, right? He said, I may want to have you 
use your last name, Echevarria. And I said, okay. We're talking about if if I'm doing the movie already. Like, I'm doing Manny. He says, you're going to play Manny. I I have the last say. (laughs) And he says, so anybody tells you that somebody else is getting the role, he said, you just don't listen. You don't listen. You don't say anything. But you can't tell anybody until I announce it. I said, so, and he said, we're going to have some auditions in New York in a few weeks. And, uh, but you're, you're doing the role. You're playing Manny. I'm going to have other Manny's there just see, because I have to look like, I have to be a good sport about it. So he had a couple other guys there. I don't remember. It wasn't John Travolta. John Travolta was in the talks, you know, with the agents and the agents saying, if you use my client, I'll let you use uh, this other super superstar in another movie. And they had all that bullshit, all the stuff that went on among the the big big time people, or the ones that thought they were big time. Um, it, it, and and so we, I he said, here's the script, learn it. And he said, eventually. I got to get you with Al. I have to put you in a room with Al because he'll, Al's going to fall in love with you. He'll love you immediately because he likes people that are, he likes people like you. He, you're his type of guy that, you know, in terms of like guys, chemistry and, and he said, but he's got a promise. He's promised another actor a, a screen test. So until he we get the screen test done, and he and he and we make the decision, we tell him that it's not going to work because he he'll see it himself that the guy is not right for the character, and then we will bring him you <laughs> and say this is our choice and. By the time I met Al, yes, they had already told him that the guy that 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 the other actor. I'm not talking about him because he killed himself um, accidentally. He had he had a, an overdose, and he was a very, very, very great actor. And he was a friend of mine, and I knew him. He was uh, he did a play in in New York, very a play in New York with Al. So they became good friends, and Al wanted to help him because he had a bad. Uh, drug habit, and I was trying to help him out. And it just he, he he couldn't let go of of the thing of the monster. Um, even after he had let it go, he had he went back to it, and so he died um, a few years after that. But you, he, he he that just part of the story of how strange this this whole story is. Because the moment I did finally go see Al, Al and they said, well, he's going to be at, here at the office and, and it will just, you know, he knows you're coming. And so I walked in and he goes, hi, hi, hi. And we, you know, like we had instant chemistry. I smiled, I was smiling and he smiled. And, and he said, can you tell me something? He said, if you're really Cuban, he said, why is your name Steve Bauer? <laughs> 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 like, 
I think because my grandfather came from Germany and and nobody could pronounce it Cheveria and he and Al said Cheveria. Yeah, you better stick with Bauer. Cheveria, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so he, that so I he, somehow I had to defy ultimately, yes, it I got cast, they announced it and uh and of course my agents had could they couldn't they they couldn't go even through the process of negotiating like how much I'm going to get paid because Mr. B- Mr. Bregman announced he said and and tell your agents there's no no negotiation I'm going to decide what you get paid so tell them not to call me and I decide uh, about the titles and everything <laughs> and my agent like wow this guy's a prick so so. <laughs> I just accepted everything, and I had the, probably the lowest salary you could ever imagine for a, for starring in a film opposite the Al Pacino. But it was okay, and my residuals are very very tiny that I still get if I if I still get them at all every once in a while from around the world tiny little residuals (laughs) because I was, but you got the, but you got the role, but I had the role and the role is forever. And there's a, that's what what Bregman said. He said, you know what? And and I had to turn down the other movie, the lead. And they were offering me a hundred thousand dollars for like four weeks. And, and I was broke (laughs) and I was broke, broke. Yeah, but it ain't. Um, but it ain't. It, but it wasn't Scarface, and it wasn't Scarface. That's what he said, Brett. You got it. It, it. That's what Mr. Bregman said. He said, yeah, he, he said, yeah, it's a lovely story, and you've got a. It's a beautiful role, and you'll probably be great in it. He said, but do you know how many people will see that movie? I said, I know, and he goes, well, not a lot. He said, you know how many people will see Scarface? He said, around the world forever. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's true. So I had to turn them down. They were heartbroken, too. They were heartbroken because they, it was financed by an Indian tribe from upstate New York, from Canada, from Canada. And they had all the financing. And they chose me. I did a screen test for them. And they chose me. And then I had to ter- tell them that, no, I was waiting for Scarface. And they were angry. And the director was very angry. He used to call me in the middle of the night and say, you're throwing your life away by waiting for these guys. And I said, yes, but Mr. Bregman told me that I'm going to do the movie. And he said, that guy's a shark and he's just going to devour you and spit you out. You'll never do Scarface. I swear he's, he was saying that to me late at night, like four in the morning. He would call me and say, you're throwing your life away and you're destroying our, our little movie. Wow. I was, I was like, God, I don't like this. I don't know. This world is, is so ugly already before I even started. 
Um, and you're and and, and you're so, you're you're young in this in this world, especially of big time movies. So you're listening to this, and you're you're probably going, I don't know who to believe here. I'm 23 years old. Even my agents are saying, uh, "You should." I you keep telling us that Bregman is saying that you're doing the movie, but he won't offer you a contract, and you have a movie you're supposed to do for a lot of money for a nice, nice salary. And it's a great, great little movie. <laughs> and I said, I know I don't, I can't, I can't, I do both. And I went to, and they said, go talk to him. And I, so I said, like, I called Bregman and I said, please, I got to talk to you. I, I went to his office and I said, when, when do you think, when do you think this is going to happen? And he said, well, like I said, we have to get the Al's not Al went out of the country. And then we have to wait for him to get back. And when he gets back, we're going to do the screen tests for this actor. And well, it could be about another month. I said, Oh no, God. He said, I know you have this other movie. And that's when he gave me a speech about how many people are going to see it. What do you want? What do you want to do with your life, <laughs> with your career? Now that you, as you start it. And I knew I, I wasn't going to pass on Scarface. I knew I, I wasn't, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around letting these people down and also not having the opportunity to do. It's just like, it was one of those situations when it rains, it pours. Like I hadn't had a, a, a film job in, in three years since I left California, I went to New York and I, and I, I hadn't worked. <laughs> I'd done plays in New York and stuff, but I was broke. <laughs> I had no money, no income except delivering <laughs> kitchen cabinets and stuff. And that so, would all change. You go to, uh, and that uh, would all change. <laughs> you go to, uh, Miami Coral Park High School. I think that's oh, Jose and I think that's Jose and, uh, Ozzy, Ozzy Canseco. They're Cuban Jose. too. Arrested Estrada yeah, went there. Ozzy. Oh yes, distraught. Yes, yes, Pitbull. he did. Pitbull too. A, uh, Pitbull also went to Cole Park for for a bit. He also went to Miami High, I think. Miami High. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, See, but, but also, my mom was Pitbull's teacher at Citrus Grove Elementary. Really? My mom. Yes, my mom was the elementary school teacher in Miami for twenty seven years. Wow, that's pretty awesome. You head on to, to Miami Dade. You, you head on to Miami Dade, and I think this is the time of your life where you is is this where you catch the acting bug when you go to Miami Dade? Yes, and you start yes. start pursuing yes. it, I, and, and then on to the and then on to the U. Yes, and the re, the way I got to University of Miami was they are they they the students there the drama students who saw me because I. I was invited to audition for West Side Story because they needed men who could move, who could dance, and, and who could sing. 
they needed men, like guys, like guy, guy guys. They didn't need like, uh, you know, just dancers. <laughs> and, uh, and, and because they had plenty of those, they had guys who were, they, they just, they, anyway, they, um, I was at, I was at state South and I, I saw a poster for a play for a production. And it was Tennessee Williams, Summer Smoke. And I thought, well, if I'm ever going to try it, I may as well go to this audition. It was the first few days of, of class in 76, no, 75. And, and I went and they cast me in a small role, which happens at the end of the play. And I, and I walk off with the leading lady and at the end of the play, I play a traveling salesman. And the moment that I went to my first rehearsal, I had no idea what the process was. I didn't know. I just knew that I, maybe I could imagine myself living a lot of lives that way. I could be the quarterback of the Cowboys. <laughs> I could be, I could be uh, 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 Denny McLean. That was another one of my heroes, Denny McLean, and Mickey yeah. Bullock, and the entire the entire '68 uh, Detroit Tigers. Don't ask me why. <laughs> wow, I, I, but, you know but why? It, it, that's what's so interesting. Was, that's what's so interesting about what you do and what I did is. Yes. I mean, you you're you're coming up and you have these these dreams and what, Oh man, to be this or to be that. And then yes. the guys that are playing baseball, we watch, you know, our favorite movies, our favorite, whatever it is right. nowadays, our favorite Netflix. And it's like, yes. man, you know, because I take baseball for granted. That's just what I do for a living. That's nothing to me. That's nothing special. That's something I do for a living. I, I punch the clock and that's, I've done it my whole life and I'm trained to do it. But man, I look on the screen. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. I want to be in this movie. I want to be in that movie. And it, it's funny how our our paths cross. The the actors that are that are sports fans. It's like you go you go to a game and you go on the field and you get to meet your the players that you watch and you think, wow, this is cool. We do the same thing. You know, I've had a few times where I've got to go on set and wow, it's like a different world for me. It's something that, you know, it I don't is. get to do every day. And it's really cool to see how you guys go about your business and the preparation behind the scenes. A lot of, you know, a baseball game, you come to the game at seven o'clock and you watch the final product. But you don't get to right. see behind the scenes and, and what led up to getting there. Same with the acting. You know, I, I go out like when I was watching you and Ray Donovan, I tune in and, I, you know, I got I started watching Ray Donovan. They told me to watch it this a few years ago. And I started watching. And then next yeah. thing you know, I'm watching eight shows a day. And I'm like, this is the greatest. I don't see everything that goes yeah. into it. I just see. All right. Next episode, episode five, episode six. episode. what's going to happen here? What's so, going to happen there? It's so and it's gripping. cool, isn't it? It was so gripping and so well done and so believable, right? Yeah. That means you have that means you have good taste, Brett. If you, if it, you it, like it was awesome. Donovan. It was yeah. awesome. And and I'm just thinking, yeah. wow, this is probably there really really are fixers like that in Hollywood. They take care of things. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny because recently we were watching uh my wife and I, my fiance Jen, and, and we're watching um the Tom, Tommy and Pamela, the uh, Pam and Tommy, Tommy, uh, show. 
um, the, 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 the short, uh, the little season they, they had, the, the limited series. And it right. was actually pretty good and pretty funny. And the, the two actors are very good, I thought. And uh, my friend Don Harvey, who was in a movie with me that we shot in Israel where we, uh, where, that takes place in Afghanistan, Afghanistan, is called The Beast. And you should see that. Or, and I played the Afghan. I played the lead Afghan. I had to immerse myself in their culture and learn Pashto phonetically. I, the, the, the Afghans in the movie speak their own language. The Russian soldiers in the tank that gets lost, then the main characters are the these four Russian uh, tank guys and their commander, and they, and they speak English in the story so that the audience identifies with them and, and sees the Afghans as foreigners, as the foreigners that they are. And it kind of, uh, it's kind of, in, uh, in a way it's trying to, it's like, a, it's an analogy to, to the American boys in Vietnam uh, trying to figure out this, the jungle basically and their tactics and everything. And that's why the, the Russians were expelled from Afghanistan. Eventually they just gave up. Like they're going to have to fucking give up in, in the Ukraine because the Ukrainians won't quit. They won't stop fighting. They're going to fight to the end. And hopefully they, they won't be, uh, hopefully they won't, they won't, it'll end in victory of that kind because obviously they don't want to take Russia. They just want to have their own country. But that's why the, that's why the, anyway, I did this movie about Afghanistan and my friend Don Harvey played one of the Russians and he plays Anthony Pelicano, who was the real prototype for Liev, for Liev's character, for, for Ray Donovan. It's wow. the prototype. Did you, do you like watching, do you like watching your work? Yes. Like, do you watch you physically on the, on the, on the camera? You like watching it when you're done. When I'm done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Because I can separate myself and, and see it objectively. Um, there obviously I'm human. So I, I, I do, I can see flaws, but it's done. It's done. All it is, is a lesson in next time. In what to right. do the next time, next time out. It's like it's like you watching a, a video of, of your of your hitting. Of You're your right. You know, you know, what's weird when it comes to me is I was just talking about this with a buddy of mine. And I said, I love watching. I, I loved when I was playing. I loved watching video of of myself playing, especially, you know, I, I, I would try to stay away from watching the negative I would always watch the positive. What am I doing positive? So I loved watching video of me playing. But after the game, you know, if I had a big game and I'd be doing a bunch of interviews, right, you, know, right, right. You, go, you go home that night and I'm in bed and every news channel I turn on, there's my interview. I couldn't stand watching it. I couldn't stand oh. watching it. I liked, I, liked, I liked watching myself play, but I didn't watch yes. like watching myself interview. I knew that I did a good interview. I knew it was well, but I don't know why I didn't do it. Maybe I looked at it and said, you know, I'm so full of shit. <laughs> maybe maybe that's what I thought, and that's why I didn't like it. But you're right. The work, your work is the acting part. So that's your 
Absolutely. That's your Absolutely. that's your ba- that's I'm your not base. That keen. That's your I've baseball. I've better field. at the interviews. I've got I've gotten better over the years at the interviews. I can I can watch some of my old ones and cringe. And cringe yeah. because I think that for some reason my voice sounded like this. <laughs> and right. I go, what the hell is I what did I just inhale helium or something? Why was my voice like this? <laughs> and and yeah. it's because I was speaking like I don't know, maybe the the interviewer had a had a sort of a higher uh tone, a pitch and and I maybe I was matching him or maybe I was speaking softly. I was trying not to be sound too tough or something and I was trying to go against it because they they were asking me, God, are you you always play the tough guy? Is that who you are? And I said, No, I'm not. I'm really like and then so my voice changed. <laughs> I right, and no, then you I'm listen not. to yourself and you go, come on, who are you kidding? Because oh, we know ourselves God, better than anybody, you know? I just look like a big pansy or something. <laughs> and I, I'm saying, oh, God, I want to take that one back. But I can, I can see that. If you see yourself, you see the interview you gave, you, you're saying, well, yeah, it doesn't, you know, I'm not, I don't look clumsy or anything, and I'm, I'm talking baseball. But I'm I'm full of shit. I'm making shit up, and <laughs> I'm telling you what you want to hear. I'm giving you the the yeah, sound bite, exactly. and, and and we're moving exactly. on. Now on the on the field, there's no script, so that's what I do. So uh, I I did like that, and and I could critique uh, my swing. What I did, what yeah, I did here, and what I did the there. Right. And maybe that's why I'm such a terrible actor. <laughs> I've done I've done some commercials and I do oh Steven, I, I, I watch those back and I, I can't problem. even watch them. I'm like I it, and some of them are so bad that they're good, if that makes sense. And I've never played well, any role I, other I, than I, myself. I'd be willing to bet that I could coach you into a good performance. A very uh, you natural prob- performance. You, you, you I'm, probably I'm really, could. Uh, that's one thing I've done over the years is help uh, young actors and and people who who are who are like like extras that are that I notice in the scene they're standing up because they're so awkward and so self-conscious and I'll talk to them I'll go you don't have to don't don't think about walking just walk don't think about what walking looks like you walk all the time well, that's the same thing with, with, with speaking. If you, if you understand what you're talking about and you have the intention, then just get it out. Get it out with the intention. And that, that's how you act. It, that's what I understood when I first tried it. I went, wow. It's like, when, it's like you, when, when an acting teacher told me later on, he said, you open Hamlet. They touch. Someone's giving you the role of of Hamlet, and the play is called Hamlet. So you are Hamlet from opening page. You everything that you read that happens to Hamlet, you imagine it happening to you. You are Hamlet. It's not. If I was Hamlet, how would I act? No, you're Hamlet. Stop. Stop separating. You can separate later. But while you're doing the role, you are Hamlet. See, and uh, with that said, that that's, that's, no, that's it, it one makes of the sense. basic uh, things. Next yeah, time you go out and, and do a sense. commercial, you're the guy. <laughs> oh, my, you're the guy in the commercial. That's who you are. You don't think about 
How would this guy walk? No, just walk. Just just walk as the guy. As the guy. In other words, make yourself the guy. And say, this is me. This is me. Unless they walk you, unless they want you to do a funny walk, <laughs> you're gonna walk naturally. But if you think about, hmm, let me think about how this guy would walk or move or something, you're gonna get all tangled. And then you look funny on camera. Because I think it would look be. Like I think it's. About. I think it's a level of uh, people that have a tough time. I think it's a level of insecurity. Like, okay, I'm really good at what I do, but you're putting me into this world, and I'm not so sure. And who's on set? And who's watching me? And right. All right. All right. I got to pull right. this off because I'm. I'm over That's here. I'm. I'm a star, but over here, this is new. But I, I got to at least be decent. And man, then it goes all south. And then you're just worse. Instead of like you said, just be natural. Just do it. We don't expect yeah. you to give a give a Academy Award performance. You're not an actor. Just right. just just go just right. go with it. See what happens. Brent, well, I started I started baseball too late. Right? And my dad was gone. And my and and ironically, because my dad was a star. He was a he was a big six foot, you know fastballer pitcher he couldn't hit he, he said he never could hit he never he thought hitting was the hardest thing in all of sports is hitting a baseball i and agree with that probably right. yeah he's probably right um most people actually who know say that say that uh, he agreed he said it's not not everyone can swing a bat can hit a ball that's coming at you fast and, uh, now, and now your your dad was your dad was the uh, baseball. I was determined when I first got an opportunity was I was already thirteen. So all the kids who played at nine and ten and eleven and twelve they could swing the bat. <laughs> they could swing the bat. They could throw a ball hard. I was afraid of the ball when it came at me hard. At thirteen, it was too much. It was just too fast. And I could swing a bat in the mirror. Boy, could I swing a bat! And my uniform looked great. And and I was and I and I copied I copied Jim Northrup's uh, hitting style. I copied Bobby Bob Barry Bobby Bonds, and I, I could hit in in the mirror. Boy, I went out on the field. My dad, when he finally came home from flying and he would show up, oh boy, and I'd have a little league game. He would just, I could hear him like moaning in the stands and calling my name. And just, he was so disappointed. And it made me, it just, it, 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 it fried all my uh, uh, ability to, to concentrate on learning how to hit on learning how to hit a fast, a uh, fastball, a baseball, and my, not, not to mention catch it. <laughs> if it comes at you hard, I think he took me out in the backyard one of those few times. And I was, I think 13 or 14. And, and, and he said, here, watch the ball. And he was, he was, a, he was a pitcher and he just like hur hurled it at me. The first pitch went right through my mitt and hit me in the nose. <laughs> And, and made me cry. <laughs> so, was, you, was, was your dad? It. Was your dad a big sports fan? He was a big sports fan. He also played basketball in Cuba against Fidel Castro. 
and he and he ran track against Fidel Castro. No, he had a basketball game that was that was disrupted when he fouled out because that was what they used him for because he wasn't that much of a shooter, but he was a big guy and he loved the he loved the game and he loved to hit and he would and he would. He might like get in your way if you're coming down. If a guard was, you know, coming down to score, he'd boom, he'd bounce him out of out of out of the court, and they would throw him out of the game. And Fidel Castro was in was in in the stands, and it was one of those situations. Fidel was a, a gangster you know, when he was a young lawyer, and he and he was law school, and and he had, always had thugs around him, and he was a disruptor. And and suddenly, bang, 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 and the stands cleared. My dad said he ran in his little in in those days in the 1950. Uh, the, the short shorts, the very right. short basketball shorts. He had long right. legs, <laughs> and he ran and ran and ran and ran, and he got in line at a movie theater because <laughs> everybody was running through the streets. It was this big boom, boom. It was like a big shootout, and it was Fidel and his thugs. But he also ran track against Fidel, but Fidel was about three, four years older and in the 800 meters. So my dad did sports all through that. And his father was a soccer star, star, star. And my father was, was born on my father's birthday. My father was born on, on a day, on a game where my grandfather scored the winning goal with his head and hit the pole and cracked his head open. And they took him to the hospital where, where his wife was giving birth to my dad. And that's the true story. Wow. <laughs> Talk about sports. I, I was, in fact, I was intimidated because of the, the excellence that had come before me. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine how you weren't intimidated with the excellence that, that you were you were exposed to in your family. Well, my um, parents. I guess it, you were imbued, imbued with that confidence well, and determination. It was, I had, you know, my grandfather, um, my grandfather played for, I think, 13 years, 14 years. And he was my first influence. And he was the guy I remember when as little as I can, re, you know, when I was as little as I can remember, one years old, two years old, uh, my, I spent a lot of time with my grandpa because my dad was in the minor leagues. So I spent a lot of time with Gramps. And uh, Bob, he was that Bob Boone. No, Bob Boone. That's my dad. Ray Boone is my that's grandpa. your dad. Yeah. Bob yeah. Boone is your dad. Right. So I spent a lot of time Bob. with his dad, Ray. And he was my oh, first Ray influence. I, I, I saw him play. Yeah, Ray Boone. But he yeah. was my influence. And and the thing about it, Stephen, is I felt never an ounce of pressure. I don't know if that was the way it was. My dad always said, I'll support you in anything you want to do. But if you like baseball and you're good at it, that's just a bonus. So I never felt any pressure. And he never got to see me play as a kid. Because every time, you know, school ended and we go play, we go play Little League. Dad was already at the ballpark getting ready for his game. So he rarely got to see me play. So I didn't feel any of the pressure of of dad being there or anything. And it's just the, you know, when he'd get to come to a game, when he'd come to a college game of mine, uh, he would sit in the stands and and try to kind of be invisible and like he wasn't there. And I tried to do the same thing for my kids. 
I try to do the same thing for my kids growing up. You know, I've got a son that's in, in a ball now, uh, in the minor leagues. Wow. And he, t- wow. he says, How old? you know, he, what is he? 18, 19. He's 22. He, 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 uh, graduated college and now he's playing and he's got enough on his table with his great grandpa and his grandpa and his uncle, uh, you know, Aaron with the Yankees and his dad. And I just think the last things he needs is any more of that. So I keep that away from him as much as I can. I go visit and watch him play, but I never want to make a big deal about it. You know, we have dinner after the game. If, if he's got something for me to talk about, I'd be happy. Believe me. I love when he asks me questions about the game and Hey, what would you do in this situation? Now it's on. I can talk all night with him, but I'm the one, I don't bring it to him. You know, I'm not that dad of, Hey, what were you thinking in that third at bat? It's like, Nope. When he's ready, he'll talk to me. He's got to hear about that enough. So I, I think it's more of just, when you do it for a living, it's an understanding of how it is and how tough it is. So we try to make it as easy as we can on, on that next generation or on our kids or family members. And I see that a lot with a lot of my teammates and guys that I played against. They all seem to kind of take that same, same, same attitude with their kids or, or, or with family members is kind of silent and, 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 and stay behind the scenes as much as you can. Cause you, you know, you see those, those crazy little league parents that are out there hanging on the fence, yelling at oh, little God. Johnny, come on, Johnny, so- they get in trouble when they don't have a good game. <laughs> those, those guys are the worst. That is the worst way to go about it. I, I started to tell you that, that my dad, that's what my dad was. He could not control himself. He had, a, he had, <coughs> excuse me. he, could not watch me play, and my brother also. Um, my brother was actually better, probably because my little brother, because he, because he wasn't as self conscious as I was. My brother just went up there and swung the bat. I went up there thinking I had to, I had to stand the way that the big leaguers stood. Uh, I had to create a batting stance, you know. Uh, a stance of uh, how to hold, where I wanted to hold the bat, how high I wanted to hold it, what felt right, uh, like Mickey Stanley. <laughs> um, uh, it was I was I was so overwhelmed by by watching base by learning it from visual that by the time I got to to get the equipment in my hands, I it was too late to have to to develop a natural relationship with the ball and the bat and the glove i just didn't have it i had to i was trying to like put it on and my dad wasn't there even though he could if he would have been there maybe i would have started at 7 with a with a ball and a bat <laughs> But he right. wasn't there, and so I, I missed it. And when he showed up, I was just dressed up to look like a, a baseball player. And and when I when I when I went to bat, and I swung at air, or I closed my eyes, if it was it was if there was a wild a wild pitch because it was little league still. But there was a friend of mine who was notorious. Uh, he was on the other team, and 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 he was big like me, and he, he threw about you know eighty miles an hour, in uh, and when he was fourteen, and 
And it was scary because he had no control. So he'd hit people. <laughs> and that, so I, I'd close my eyes and swing like I was protecting myself. And my dad would go, no! <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's, pr- it's probably goes, no! not for you. You talk. God, yo! <laughs> this is a, a cute thing. Oh, cool. Go Believe me. I'm around. I'm around. I'm around a lot of guys, you know, a lot of my teammates. I've I've heard Konyo oh. more than you could possibly imagine. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Konyo. And, and, all the, and all the, the Latin other, players. Anytime other, anything goes wrong. Oh my God! Uh, the other t- the other thing for me was I'd stand in the outfield forever, waiting for somebody to hit to the outfield. Right. Right. And it's a boom here. Boom. Somebody hits, and I and I'm out there. And I could hear my dad saying, don't drop it. Don't drop it. <laughs> like that. And I, it, it, in Spanish. No, <laughs> in Spanish. And, and, I, and I would be like, where is it? Where is it? Oh, oh well. And then I, 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 boom, and it would go over my head. And then I'd be running and trying to throw it in. And, and my, I could hear him saying, pero coño, Rocky. R- Rocky was my name. <laughs> was my nickname when I was a kid and, and named after Rocky Marciano, by the way. Um, but I was Rocky because I, because Esteban was too big for me, obviously. Uh, it's too big for a child. You know, always have a nickname. So they called me Rocky. Or they called me Rocky or, or, or Rocky. And him in Spanish, he'd be yelling, Pero Rocky, coño. Oh God! And everybody, even people, even like like the people of the other families, they all felt sorry for me, as I I'd be running in, just kind of like my tail between my legs, <laughs> my my glove it's on a, my tail. I'll tell you, it's it's a t- it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And you talked about hitting, and this is why I you know I always say that, and I'm convinced uh, that hitting is the toughest thing to do because, you know. Th- I've been around a ton of unbelievable athletes in my life and football players and basketball players and the NFL, for instance, if you're bigger, faster, stronger, that's why they have the combine, right? They they grade every single skill you have. And if you're bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else, you will play in the NFL. If you're bigger, stronger, faster in baseball and you can't hit a breaking ball, you won't get out of a ball. So I think nope. that's the difference between baseball and, and everything else. Miles. Yeah. If it doesn't matter how fast you are if you can't hit. Right. Right. Well, if and you can throw a hundred, if you can throw a hundred, that helps. Than one, but you don't have a curveball <laughs> or a slider. You're, you're, you, you, you're a one trick pony. Right. Or if you can't locate, if you can't locate that hundred, because eventually if you, if you, if you leave it in the middle of the plate, if you leave it in the middle of the plate, these big leaguers will get you eventually. It's not as easy as getting 95. My dad actually got drafted and in Cuba, he played on the team where he was the only white boy. He played with, he played with Willie Mays. In the late, in the late, in the early, late, early third, early fifties. So he played on a team with Willie Mays who would come down and play. And he played with other great uh, American ball players. And he, 
had a fastball and he had some sort of a curve, but his fastball was not, it, it wasn't always, he couldn't always locate it. He would hit people a lot, but he was big <laughs> and he had a big kick. And so, and he, and he was, he was like a specimen. Right. And so I guess they scouted him and they said, we're offering you a, uh, the Washington, what are they called? The senators? No, they were called the, Back in the Washington day, they were the senators. Now they're the nationals, but they were the senators. Right, right, right. It was the senators. The Washington senators offered them a contract for like a few bucks a week. I don't know. And to go to Big Spring, Texas. And he looked at Big Spring on a map, I think. or <laughs> and, it, and it was like, oh, no, no, I don't think so. I'm not that good. <laughs> and I, right. I don't think I could live it. I <laughs> don't. I'm not going to make it. He just, he, he had a big accent. You know, he could talk like this. He read in English. He read all the great American novels, but he never lost his accent. And that was kind of the accent that later, now we see how we come complete full circle. Uh, I taught, I used that accent to teach Al, Al Pacino in Scarface. I would use my dad's accent and, uh, so that he could hear me. And eventually I got him to meet my dad on, and bring my dad on the set when we moved to Miami, when we started shooting in Miami for the chainsaw scene and the fountain blue scenes. Um, he did come to the set and now wanted him in his trailer to, to talk, just talk. And my dad would love to talk. He loved to tell stories and they're all big, big stories about flighty, yeah. flying, about, about uh, generals in the Congo, and he imitated voices, but with his Cuban accent. So that was really good for Al. Did take this one thing from him that day that we did the scene at the Fountain Blue because my father was saying, you know, I mean these guys they come here and they they've been in prison or they or they, you know, they have nothing. And suddenly, there you can go on the street. You can get a, uh, you can buy a gun and get a buy a little car and put a bunch of guys together and go and rob a bank. And he said, "It's paradise." <laughs> and Al said, "Paradise. Mm, I like that. Paradise." And that's how he opens the scene with the at the found blue. And he goes, "You know, if I," he goes, "You know what? This this paradise." Paradise. He also liked when I said, uh, I told him once, uh, I used the word paranoid. And he said, mm, I'm going to use, <laughs> excuse me, I'm going to use that paranoid. And the scene where he gets, where he shoots, uh, where he shoots Mel, Mel, Mel Bernstein. Right. And he goes, and he goes, he said, uh, they go, what's, uh, oh, Frank goes, what's the gun for, <laughs> Tony? And he goes, what? Oh, all this? It's, uh, I don't know. I'm, uh, how you say? Paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's it, what, how, how cool is that for you, though? Because you remember and you tell it so vividly about when you were in Little League. And that ball would be hit to you, and it would go over your head. Yeah. And then you'd run back in. You hear you hear pops on the sidelines yelling at you in Spanish. Yeah. You're swinging the bat. He's yelling at you. What are you doing? But now yeah. all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, you know, 
it comes full circle and he's on the set hanging out with Al Pacino and he's watching his son. How proud was his papa? How proud was your oh, dad then? He was because he didn't think I'd amount to anything. <laughs> was, how how, how cool is that though? Severe, That's pretty cool. It was a severe journey. Uh, I mean, a very drastic contrast and it was, it was beautiful. I, I'm not putting it. I'm not saying anything negative about it, except that, except that as a child, I, I was so I was so um, separated from him because I didn't. And, and again, what's what's beautiful about this story is that there's it's there's it's there's no abuse in it. It's not a story of abuse or anything. He was just a guy, and he was he was just loud, and he was a guy. He was a pilot, and so he was gone a lot. And my mom was perfect, and she still is. She's still living. And she's still perfect, <laughs> and she's a saint, and and underappreciated, unappreciated by my dad. So I had a perfect mom and a great dad, but they, the twain, should could should never have come together except to create us, my brother and I. My brother and I are perfect. <laughs> that's that's, that's pretty awesome. That's, <laughs> so we'll, we're we're going to get to. Really, Hey, I'd love to come out there and, and uh, take you to dinner or something, man. That would be awesome. Oh, I would I would love to do it. Or if I come to Miami, I'll definitely. Yeah, you come I, I want to get to. Let us, I, let us take you out. That, my, that would my be wife, awesome. My wife to be Jennifer is incredible. She's perfect. <laughs> she's a saint also, <laughs> and she's a badass because she's a the the best. Uh, she has a she had a no she has a mobile dog grooming company. And she was willing to move to Miami with me a year ago for love because I, I, I was done with LA. I was just living in, in LA. I, I just, it just got so sickly there. Um, the people, uh, I love LA. I love the memories I have of LA and, and Southern California. I, I even San Diego, La Jolla and, but man, I I got sick of, it. and she did too, of of Hollywood, and the people, and the politics, and the government there, the regulations, and the taxes, and taxes. She there was you go. the best. Yeah, she was the best dog groomer in L.A. and at Beverly Hills, and she did. Uh, she she had celebrity uh, clients that were just referred or kept referring her to each other and she's really beautiful tall and blonde and and uh she's from washington state and uh, she came down to hollywood with a dream of, of doing it herself of just doing it she started her own dog grooming business and anyway that's she's the first girl i had ever met five years ago when i met her <laughs> i was done i was done with the game and, and and i mean the game including four marriages that were they were not real. They were not real, like good marriages or anything, uh, or meant to be at all. But, but I'd I'd given up the game, and God put her in my life. She just crossed my path, and fell for me. And I was the first guy she'd ever known that was really a good person. <laughs> and so she had been done with guys also, and she's. She's about 15 years younger than me. 
I think she's 15, maybe. <laughs> Somewhere around there. I'm 65. If you can believe that, I'm 65. I'm 65. Yes, I am. Shoot, uh, shoot I'm 53. We're just, all getting old. We're all getting old. Well, she, yeah, she'll be 50 in November. <laughs> so I got, I've got 15 years on her. And, but we're perfect together. I mean, we just are perfect together. And she took a big chance leaving all her big clients in, in L.A. and moving the van here we shipped it over here and she's starting from scratch kind of but we're getting her some really big time clients now and as soon as they meet her they're like that's it you're doing my dogs from now on and so she's she's that good where she's a dog whisperer and we have also two dogs and four cats and a couple of ducks and <laughs> a couple so of ducks. you gotta, you gotta come what? out here when you come out here and and uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll get I don't know if you're friends with Donnie with uh with uh with Don uh, um, Mattingly. Uh, I'm not friends with him, but I did get to meet him, so we have a little rapport. Uh, I got to meet him because they one of the one of the guys, somebody from the team, said uh, Donnie's a really big fan of your of your stuff of your roles of the things you know and ray donovan and everything right and it, and uh so i did go i was at a game and and i had seats right behind the, the catcher right behind home plate and <coughs> at one point when he was not too busy i went i went over to the right to the side right by the dugout and uh some of the guys already were pointing me out some of the cuban guys on the team and right. uh and so it's, it's, it's cool. When I go to the stadium, I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, I want to be one of them. I want to be, I want to be out there. And, uh, and they think I'm a movie star and that's yeah. kind of nice. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's, it's cool. Thing. It's cool. It, it's cool talking to, to guys in their field and seeing what it's like. You know, I, yeah. I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. I want to get to, I want to get to Ray Donovan, but I want to talk to uh, yeah. about from, you know, obviously the Scarface is the big first big hit, but you've done a lot. You've been in this industry a long time since 1977. Yeah, it's a lot. And, uh, I, I mean, I'm you did a, Thief, of, Thief of Hearts, Traffic, Primal Fear, Running Scare. You've done a lot up until Donovan. What were some of your favorite projects and your favorite guys to work with? Um, I, I, boy, I have a lot of stories. Do you want to do this a, a two part uh a two-part story because I, uh, if you can, I mean, I don't know if you have time tomorrow um, to do it. Cause my, she just got home and we're supposed to have dinner. Uh, we're supposed to go, go out to dinner for it's an eight o'clock dinner. Um, do you, would you mind a lot doing it in two parts and tomorrow I can do it in uh, I could do it audio uh, visual also. And I'll you tell you pick, all about you, C4 Hearts. There's a yeah, lot you, of things. You know, I booked every day. Okay, you want to uh, – we'll pick it up from here? Yes. But, uh, but I'll give you a little bit of Avi. Avi is like an Israeli uh, – <coughs> transported uh, – you know, transplanted in L.A. And I knew a lot of these guys when I was – when you know, all through those years in LA, and more and more as the years passed, 
there were more Israelis coming out to L.A. These guys, and they had a, they were all different types of uh, of odd jobs, odd vocations, and one of them was uh, to be a guy like Avi, basically, because a lot of those guys came from the army, from the from the army, uh, or from the Mossad. And so the way they created this character, we said, well, he's ex-Mossad, obviously trained in all the hand art, all the hand-to-hand arts, the Karamaga, and uh, and uh, knows weapons, knows surveillance, and uh, and knows how to kill. <laughs> and 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 I got into that role because I knew these guys. I I mean I I'd been around them. And I know also that what a cheesy sense of humor they have. And and if you watch, well, you said you're a fan of Ray Donovan, and you see how I have these moments that are really cheesy, like when I'm dancing, uh, I'm turning on the, I put the Hebrew station on or something, and I, oh no, I put a normal station, and I'm dancing, and uh, there's a lot of things about Ray Donovan that are really really funny that I got to do. Oh, I and, love it. Uh, and I love a, uh, I love Liev's character, Ray. I love Voight. He is fantastic. And I'll John tell you what, Boyd, I love I love I loved your sidekick, Lena, I think her name was. Oh hey, Lena, yes. Oh, she Lena's was great, great too. Lena was, Lena was great, you know, we were best friends, you know. <laughs> yes, there it is, right there. Uh, there are so many good characters in, in, in Donovan. When we first met, I thought she might like me like a like a man, you know. But uh, then I realized she liked uh, she liked women better than me, so she liked me as a friend. So I said, "Okay, I'll be your friend." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we had a we had a we had a great rapport. She and I. She hated Ray Donovan. She hated Liam, though. <laughs> she used to tell me, "I don't know. It's just the way I don't. I just." They didn't get off the right foot or something. And she just didn't like him because he is, he's a perfectionist. And, and when he says things, you can't take him personally because he, he's also executive producer on the show and he cares. He really cares about it being realistic. And so, and so if you're, if you do something, if you, if you, and the thing is for her, it was a, it was a pain in the ass kind of job, although she probably made, probably made a pretty penny also, um, and she should be grateful. But I'm not going to begrudge her that uh, she didn't like the job. She she liked the character, but she didn't like the job. I think because, like me, she would come in uh, on a given day for an episode or two days in a row. And sometimes if you, sometimes if we get there um, for, to shoot at 11, let's say, you'd wait till like 4 4 p.m. to actually start shooting because Liev was working (laughs) and they were taking their time. And, And what they thought they'd be finished by 11, take them past lunch, past the lunch break, until four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon. And then you got to, then they call you from your trailer. You waste the whole day. <laughs> so that's the way she saw it. 
she had girlfriends that she had she wanted to hang out with, <laughs> and and right. you know you can't you can't begrudge her that <laughs> she was she was hot she was hot and she had hot girls they were in, they were crazy about her and and she was she was having her you know fun and and that job sort of was in the way. I hope she never hears this interview. <laughs> no, Joe, I liked it though. You know, and once again, I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan that's watching. We were friends. Yeah, but but the guy just watching the show loved her character. Loved her character. If you yes. if you could play if you could guy play any loved her character, loved it. Yeah. If you could play a sports figure, if you could play a sports figure, any sports figure, yeah, in a movie, yeah. who would it be? That's. Who would it be? Jeez. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I, it would have to be uh, somebody like um, like Carlton Fisk or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. It, it, oh, oh I, was, I was thinking baseball only. And, you can, and, you can and, know and, any sports figure, football, anything. You could be a, you could be a general manager. You'd be an owner. Uh, Who would you play? A, I just played a general manager of a team. Of a basketball, of a semi-pro basketball team, in a movie I shot in Knoxville um, last year, and it's coming out soon. It's called "Nothing Is Impossible." I forgot to list that, and I play the uh, sort of a villain. <laughs> Who would I play in a movie? I would play. I would like to be. Joe Namath, but I mean, I'm too old, but I mean, if I would have had the opportunity, I would have loved to play Joe, uh, Joe Namath or, or, um, or Roger Staubach or Craig Morton even because I was tall and I knew I didn't look like Roger Staubach, but I, I, those were, those were my heroes. Uh, Roger Staubach, my God. Um, and then, uh, and then, um, and who else? Who else did I love? Oh, Don Meredith. Don Meredith. That was my first. That was my first hero, Don Meredith. I read, read. I read a story, a little story about him, how he got his ribs cracked in a game, and he stayed in, and he was tough like that, and he got his nose broken because he used that one bar, <laughs> one bar helmet. You know, the one bar cross that Bart Bart Starr also wore. All right. those guys did. Billy, Billy Kilmer. Yep. The one. Yeah. And and I and I read the story where they just crushed his, him in the face. Somebody crushed an elbow or something, and he's bleeding all over the place. And they stuffed it with cotton. And he stayed in the game. He threw a touchdown pass to Bob Hayes. That kind of stuff I wanted to do in a movie. I wanted to play. I want to play a fictional character about a guy about two quarterbacks who one is a Christian and one's a playboy and for the Dallas Cowboys. And they start off obviously at, at complete separate ends and they don't like each other. Although the Christians trying to like them, but, and, and, but it's sort of like the story of, of Roger Staubach and Craig Borden. Craig Morton would be all over Dallas, you know, at night and come in and, you know, woozy and, and, uh, and Roger was Captain America. And I, I thought I'd love to do a movie about those two. Maybe I'd play Craig Morton, you know, 
Um, that kind of thing is the kind of thing I wanted to do. A dramatic movie that was that was inspirational about two guys you coming to actually being able to help each other. One takes the other one's job, and the other one starts mentoring him, and that that kind of thing. I love. All right, I know you got to run so, soon. Give me a give me a yeah. quick uh, Better Call Saul, which is a spinoff of uh, Breaking Bad, which you were you were a part of Breaking Bad. That's coming out soon. Yeah, your episode. That's Tell me a little out. bit about in, it. In I'll let episode, you run. Probably six, and probably in about six weeks or less. Um, I I don't know what episode they're on now. Oh wow, I should be. Yeah, I they're on six. I, I'm in episode nine, so stay tuned. I'm in episode nine, and it's a really good scene that I'm in. It's in Spanish, so you have you see the caption. It's it's, it's my character Don Eladio has never been. I never I've spoken three words of English in the in the in the scenes, and those are just like my joke, my funny uh, moments where I say, "Oh, so then you are the businessman." <laughs> <laughs> HBO White House Plumbers, give me that. White House Plumbers with Woody Harrelson and Justin Thoreau. Um, that's going to be interesting. I, I didn't see too much of it, uh, but I know that they're ha- they have big plans for it. That'll pr- probably be released at the beginning of the summer, like June. And you had one Coming more project. Soon. You had one more project you were working on. Uh, called, a, a movie called Nothing is Impossible that's coming out. Um, uh, in fact, it's going to be they're going to be selling it at the Cannes Film Festival. And we're hoping to go next week. <laughs> uh, there's a movie called Love on the Rocks, also by Pure Flix. It's a sort of a faith-based company that I've worked with now a couple. I've done a few films for. And um, Love on the Rock is uh, an ex- just a spy kind of a, a movie uh, shot completely on the rock, on the, the rock of Malta in the Mediterranean. And it was an amazing experience, and that's out on on demand, and I think on Netflix maybe, Blu-ray, Blu-ray uh, Pure Pure Flix, Pure Pure Flix, is the name of the company, and they have their own uh, they have their own platform now, Pure Flix, and they make got they they're the ones that put out the movie God's Not Dead. Uh, my friend is stars and produced and produced it. His name is David White. David A.R. White. There's a bunch of stuff that I've been doing. I haven't, I had the NCIS last year where I play Wilmer Valderrama's long lost dad. And I could relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's a cool role. I play sort of CAA guy who disappears out of his life when he's five and abandons the family because he's got missions to run all over the world to put down communism and not, you know, destroy, uh, try to knock out, uh, dictators. And, and, uh, my dad did that. <laughs> so I can, I could, I could very much relate. And you go, if you went, home. if you went, if you went back in time, what would you tell an 18 year old Stephen Bauer? Oh, I would do, uh, I would um I would probably say to 
be more assertive to be more assertive with your own ideas um i had a lot of ideas i had a lot of dreams of of making movies of directing and i should have started back then because i had opportunities from filmmakers who <clears throat> who enjoyed my my company and my and my creativity and would offer me probably if i'd take the time but i was embroiled in terrible relationships so i would give myself the advice i would say don't get involved with crazy women please like my dad said to me please when he <laughs> when he came back in my life more I, that's when i was already in hollywood and that, from the first relationship i had out there i think it was or the second one boom i was in trouble and it was already tugging it was tug- tugging at my uh, my energy for what i for my career and it wasn't because it was a great relationship it was because it was a terrible relationship it shouldn't have gone on but i couldn't get out of it and so the advice i would say would be don't you don't have to save every every miserable woman that you meet you know girl that you meet um it's not your job don't try to save people uh, but it's too late i mean i don't anymore i stopped doing it and look what i got god rewarded me with a beautiful uh, woman with her own business <laughs> her own gig you know and i always ended up with women who were uh, lost who were lost they were lost and they saw in me a rescuer which i was but it's, unfortunately i i wouldn't i i had to divide my my caring uh, about for for myself which should have been for myself and for my needs and my dreams and my desires instead i would subjugate it somewhat so I, it, it's like i was had all this talent but i was working with one hand tied behind my back oh interesting so It's like okay. It's like you, you. Like if you, if you are great in it, if if you're, if you're Bo Jackson, and you're so good that you gotta, they gotta give you a handicap because it, it's like a horse. When you're handy, when they handicap a horse, they put weight on it. And I didn't know that until years later, but I just learned that recently that the racehorses they'll 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 put weight on them because of their their speed. They want to tighten the the field. Um, so that that's what my early career was like. Like I started to fly, and then suddenly, wow! I was flying so well that my wings got clipped, one of my wings, and and it was self inflicted. Brett, I'm not blaming it on any human being it was self-inflicted completely so advice oh absolutely that's what i would say see i forgot Steven. that first you asked me the question the first, my first response was what advice well i was thinking 
I, my first thoughts were career advice, but no, 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 or no, no, dummy. The, 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 the advice is to me as a, as a, as a boy, as a, as an 18 year old going to Hollywood would, would be, don't get mixed up. Don't get into relationships, especially those that immediately become disadvantageous to you and advantageous to the other person. And then they get used to it. And then you feel terrible if you pull away. You can't, you can't do it. My conscience was too, was too, um, yeah, it was just too strong. Uh, and, and overly, overly conscientious. So I should have had more love for myself. And, but not to get too serious. You've, you've been through quite a journey. You've lived a lot of life, done a lot of great things. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on the show. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we bring back in the voice of the podcast. Dan Levy. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, B-A-S-S on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.